NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. This is Long Shots, VEASAN's premier golf betting podcast. Here's Matt Brown, Wes Reynolds, and Kelly Bidlin. Hello, and welcome to VEASAN's Long Shots, the Valspar edition. It is Matt Brown, it is Wes Reynolds, it is Kelly Bidlin coming to you. We're going to, as always, give you our outrights, any placement market bets we have, any matchups as well, so stick around for all that, and we will Break down our models, see what we found important as we head into the Valspar. Not a star-studded field like we have had here very recently with a lot of these elevated tournaments, but maybe there is some money to be made here for sure, guys. If you want to, go ahead and help support this podcast, which again is absolutely free. If you hit that pause button, go down. Give us a little five-star rating. That would be awesome. If you want to, go ahead and leave us a review. That is even better because that helps us climb up these charts. And so do appreciate all of the support with all of this, of course, Wes's article you can find over on VEASAN.com, so be sure and check that out over there as well. Boys, uh, Wes, let's uh, let's go ahead and just get into you know the, the, the course preview here. I don't know how deep you guys went into all this. I'm very curious. It is the Valspar over at Ennisbrook. It's the Copperhead course, and uh, we're looking at a par 71, but it does have a unique setup. Yeah, it really does. Uh, par 71, 7,340 yards, pretty tight off the tee. Fifth narrowest fairways on the tour, tree line fairways, a lot of elevation changes, uh, even some double dog led holes, which uh, Larry Packard, who is the original designer of this in 1974, that's kind of one of his trademarks and his specialties. Uh, it really is not like your typical Florida course, though. And in reading more about it, it's kind of like a Carolina course, if you will, you know, a little bit like kind of how Shadow Creek is like a slice of mm-hmm. Carolina here in the desert in Las <laughs> Vegas or some of the courses you see in, in Carolina that like Sedgefield played for the Wyndham Championship. Got water on six of the 18 holes, 74 bunkers overall. It's unique for a par 71 layout in the fact that you have five par threes here. Four par fives and then nine par fours. Uh, par threes are like an average length about 212 yards. Par fours average around 441. Par fives about 583. There is a 605 yarder on the fifth hole. The par fives are the easiest on the course. Of course, uh, what you know from this, we remember we discussed the bear trap at PGA National for the Honda Classic. Well, uh, here at Copperhead, they have their own unique one called the Snake Pit which is the signature. Yeah. Yeah. Get the hissing sound in the background (laughs) hole 16 through 18 pars are good scores here. Pretty much all four days Uh, on average players only make birdie on these holes about 10% of the time. Bogey's 22%. 
No Valspar winner in the history of the tournament has ever played the snake pit 16, 17 and 18 for all four days at under par. So that's going to be interesting to watch fairways and rough or rye grass. Uh, the greens are usually Bermuda, but it's dormant here in March. Like when it was played in April, Last year, there was a lot more Bermuda, but it's mainly uh, Poetriv, Overseed, uh, Average Speed, 12 on the, the stint meter. The interesting changes, though, that have been made to this course, seven of the past nine years, the scoring was like 10 under par or lower for the winner. But the winning score by Sam Burns, who's won back-to-back, trying to go for a three-peat this year, 17 under the last two years. So what Copperhead did was they wanted to increase the rough. It's ryegrass rough. It was about three inches last year. It's about three and three quarters, 3.75 now. And they also removed the rough with the intermediate cut to bring it closer to the greens a little bit. So they want to make this tougher. Uh, seems like we're going to get some wind this weekend. So maybe we'll get uh, uh, a little bit closer to par type of scoring. Uh, when I looked at correlated courses, Sawgrass, Harbor Town, Riviera, Colonial, uh, TPC Southwind, a little bit of TPC San Antonio. And then, of course, if you want to use the Carolina courses, even though the ones played on the PGA Tour are relatively easier than this course will be, that could certainly fit a correlation as well. Kelly, it's uh, not the stretch here, the, the 16, 17, 18, the snake pit, like that I really like for a tournament, really. I mean, look, we've got the the bogey percentage on 16 at 24%. And you've got the 18 at 22% and another 18% bogey percentage on 17, actually a double percentage on 16 at, at five and a half percent and nearly 2% on 18. It would be different if it was a risk reward type thing, but we're looking at, at birdie percentage of sub 9% on these holes as well. So it's kind of like, it's not one of those risk reward. It's just like you try to scrape by. So if you're like two strokes back, it's not like you can, you know, go after it. And then it's like, you know, whatever it's, it's, I don't know. I, I like the risk yeah. reward finishes where it's like, no, it's super penal if you're bad, but you can actually score on it. If you, if you do something, you know, amazing or whatever, but like these holes just don't give up birdies. And so it's kind of like, it's just all bad. There's no good. And so if somebody's holding like a two stroke lead or a three stroke lead heading into 16, 17, 18, I'm not saying the tournament's over, but like they can just play it super safe just doink it down the middle and like it's it's gonna be very hard for somebody to catch up so I kind of don't like that with these type of courses but you know hey look uh it's beggars can't be choosers I just love that we're having golf here. <laughs> yeah I, I think that the I hear what you're saying I I do think that's that's where I like the uh the, the Honda Classic ending a little bit better because you get that par five on the 18th yeah. right so like you got to go through that brutal stretch and then it's okay, time to make a birdie or, you know, you can really go for it or lose it in the water mm. there on 18. I, 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 I do kind of like that better as a, as a finishing hole, but yeah, this is going to be interesting. And, and I don't know what I, uh, you know, I don't know if the pro I was trying to search for the prop of what the total, uh, uh, final score will be. Um, I think Westgate usually posts that right. Wes, we're like, I think you're, I think you're onto something where we might see this course play brutal this year. Like it, it's been tough in the past, I, I I was hearing reading all about the the rough increasing that too, growing that even longer. You add in like you hit on a little bit like there's it looks like it's gonna be windy this weekend. Like this could be an absolute uh, just just brutal course for these guys to get through over over the weekend. I don't know if there's if there's a prop out there on final score, you might be it's looking over on that two seventy five and a half. By the way, uh, so uh, okay. 
12, yeah, 275 and a half is what uh, Westgate uh, posted. And also, will there be a playoff? Yes, $3, uh, no minus uh, 360. Now, there ha- there was a playoff, of course, here last year with Davis Riley and Sam Burns that Sam Burns ended up winning, and he's won back-to-back events here. But there have been a few playoffs, and, and I think the last playoff, though, was 2016 before last year. It was Charles Schwartzel over Bill Haas, so... You know, you have seen the scoring. I'm just looking through the previous scores, and Casey won this at eight under in 2019, and then 10 under back to back 2018. Hadwin was 14 under, but you see a lot of like eight unders, 10 unders, 11 or 12 unders, and 17 under the last two years. 267 was the uh, was the winning score here. So. They're thinking at the Westgate, uh, Jeff Sherman over there, they're thinking that this is going to play a lot tougher because <laughs> yeah. 267, and we're seeing 275 and a half. That is eight, uh, what, eight and a half under par. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, that is super interesting. So we'll certainly monitor that after day one and kind of see how things are looking as we move into the tournament here. Guys, if we look at the odds board, as we mentioned, it is it is a super top-heavy tournament, and then from there, the field is pretty thin. And look, we have gotten spoiled here over the last month and a half, and now we go Thomas Spieth at 12, Fitzpatrick at 14, Burns, the back-to-back winner here at 18, Justin Rose, who did win a few weeks ago, at 20. Then you get Tommy Fleetwood, who's never won. <laughs> He's never won here in the States at 22-1. <laughs> right. to one. Like, like, you know, it's like we're and, getting to 22-1, and, to one, and this guy's never won over here, you know? Paul Azinger will, by the way, make that very clear, like he always does with Tom Fleetwood <laughs> uh, on the NBC broadcast, because uh, he's not one on American soil yet. So I, I feel like I've been, I've been the one of the trio that's been very critical of the of the field decisions by the PGA Tour. See, I'm okay with this, Matt. Like, whatever you get, some big names as long as the, the non designated elevated events. They look something like this. I'm okay with it. Sure. You at least get a sure. few big names at the yeah, top. Yeah, this is a fine field. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, Keegan is 22. And then you get Adam Hadwin at 25. Harmon at 30. Wyndham Clark at 35, as is Justin Sud, Denny McCarthy, Davis Riley. Gary Woodland at 40. Mav McNeely, 45. Ben Griffin as well. Taylor Moore and Steven Yeager. Brandon Wu come in at 50. And then everybody else is 55 or longer. I'm sure we will talk about some of these guys as we kind of put in our card this week. There are... I, I know I did not start my card very on, on very short odds at all, so I am very interested to where you guys did. But let's kick things off with our model setup. Kelly, I'll start with you. What stats did you plug in? What stats did you think mattered this week? Yeah, mainly, uh, I mean, look, we get we, real accurate off the tee here, right? We're going to be playing with another uh, another course with really small, uh, really narrow fairways, um, about 20 yard, 28 yards on average at narrow fairways there. The, if, we, if we're talking about increased length in the rough, that makes it even more crucial. Um, that accuracy, at least off the tee, like Wes hit on with these, uh, you know, d- double dog legs and everything going on in some of these holes. We're going to see guys, much like last week, right, hit less than driver off the tee, uh, try to position yourself for that second shot going into the green, which is going to be so key. So approach I approach ultra important like it is every week, but here's one of the, one of those big courses uh, where that's going to matter a lot. Uh, Accuracy off the tee. So really did some good, good drives gained, fairways gained a little bit of strokes gained off the tee overall Uh, heavy on strokes gained approach uh, play, then dropped in a little bit of green and greens and regulation opportunities gained. 
as we talk, uh, as we always talk about the different ways to kind of play approach. Uh, proximities. I played 175 to 200. We see a large percentage of shots come from that range. Uh, I believe it's over 56% is what I saw on average. Um, and then I also played proximity 200 plus that takes into account. I know it's not exactly uh, the par threes 200 to 250, but basically takes that into account uh, for those kind of shots. Um, so I played those uh, a little bit around the green and scrambling because I think that will come into play and some bogey avoidance in that. That's mainly it. I did play strokes game par five heavy too with the four par fives here. They got to be go be got to be able to go out there and score on those. Yeah, I did not plug any driving distance at all into mine, Wes. Uh, as we mentioned, not only just for the way that this course is is kind of tight and things like that, you certainly can't bomb and gouge, but also there's a ton of clubbing down here. If you look at the average driving distance here over the last decade, it is one of the very shortest on tour, and that is because guys just aren't hitting driver right. Uh, average PGA Tour average is 283 yards. At Ennisbrook, it is 271. So you can see that there is a lot of guys that are going to be hitting less than driver off the tee. So absolutely no distance for me this week at all. More of a positional course and was looking at some of those guys that kind of play these positional courses a little bit better. But what did you plug into your model to spit out what you were going to do this week? Yeah, I started with approach as I normally do. By the way, Sam Burns, who won here last year, was third on approach in his win. Everybody except for Burns, actually, in 2021, was either seventh or better on approach in the field. And it's because Burns was third on putty and like made every putt two years ago when he won this in 2021 to hold off Keegan Bradley that he was like 14th that year. But you got to be, I think, really near the top and approach here. And it's really uh, bared that out over the years. I use good drives gained uh, because I felt that this was a little bit better to measure accuracy because there's always an element to strategy because good drives, of course, you know, it's hitting the fairway or fringe hit with the green and regulation to follow. So you've got a course here with angles and tight fairways. So, you know, sometimes it's more advantageous to actually be on the fringe on the left side of the hole than on the fairway on the right side of the hole. So good drives gains I use. I use opportunities gain, and I think you can also use fairways gain as well. But, uh, you know, opportunities obviously means anytime a golfer hits a green in regulation inside of 15 feet or hits a green and under regulation. So that's what makes up that category. Proximity 175 to 200. It's about a quarter of the approach shots here at Copperhead are going to come from this distance. And I could see using the 200 as well, especially on those longer par fives. Uh, Strokes gain par five I also used here bogey avoidance and and i think with the weather being a little bit tougher and the fact that the corporate copperhead course staff look they grew the rough out and they wanted to bring that closer to the greens as well and then plus you have the snake pit you're gonna have more bogeys made on these cards i think than you have the last two years strokes gain par three 200 to 225 i think three of the par threes or three of the five par threes on this course are 200 to 225 so i did that very small as I did with uh, 400 to 450 on strokes gain par four. In terms of the short game, I combined strokes gain short game here, which combines putting, but also strokes gained around the green. And that is uh, the the main stuff I used here. I think you could certainly make an argument for using uh, proximity 200 plus as well. So, you know, 
Yeah, a, a lot a lot of the normal stuff here. I, I went a little heavier on good drives gain because I think that these fairways mm-hmm. are very, very narrow. And you know, you're 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 gonna miss fairways here here, bottom mm-hmm. line. So I think the scoring, I don't know if it's gonna be as tough as that score that we put out that Westgate had at two seventy five and a half, but I think around ten, eleven under par is where they're gonna want this and I think they're gonna get what they asked for. Yeah, shoot. Jeff Sherman was all over that. You're right. <laughs> like that number, I can't I can't bet into that, but I think that, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Something like that. <laughs> Good drives gained over the last 36 rounds. The people in the field, Aaron Rye is your number one. Gary Woodland, two. Justin Suh, three. Dylan Wu, four. Ryan Armour, five. Matthew Neesmith is six. Tyler Duncan, seven. Nate Lashley, eight. Will Gordon, nine. And then Justin Rose comes in. At 10, a lot of guys that I think will still be popular this week coming in in that 11 to 20 range. Hadwin, Knox, Harmon, Damon, List, Riley, Gim, Percy, um, Michael Tom, David Lipsky, David Lipsky all come in inside the top 20 as far as good drives gained over the last 36 rounds. As far as I go, guys, I went in and I was like just ridiculously approach heavy in this one more than I ever really am. 15% on strokes gain approach, another 15% on weighted strokes gain approach. And then I also did proximity numbers, like as we mentioned on the 175 to 200. So I have a massive amount on approach this week around the green uh, standard, just strokes gained around the green as far as some weighted strokes around the green. Cause I did want to see that driving accuracy. I, uh, you know, listen, it's, it's kind of a comparative thing that I have between the two different sites that I use for modeling the majority of the time driving accuracy on one. And then the good drives gained on the other, try to see if I can get some guys to kind of match up on that. So I definitely did that a little bit of scrambling and around the green um, as well as I mentioned par five scoring, I was pretty heavy on, because I do believe that we're going to need some people to score on those par fives. That's about it. I mean, I kept my model fairly simple this week because again, I did something I don't normally do. And we'll talk about it when we get to our card here, but I actually did a couple of plays just based on feel, which is something I try not to do, but guys that I think are playing pretty well, that it just hasn't quite clicked yet, but like in a field like this, right? Where, Look, it's not the most talented field. Certainly, we're missing a lot of the big dogs that maybe this could be one of those opportunities for them to to come in and, and maybe get something done. So I actually went that route this week, which I, again, very rarely do, but um, but did play a couple of kind of field plays this week. Yeah, there's a couple well. guys in that same kind of vein I've got my eye on that I haven't pulled the trigger on yet, Matt, but I, I'm kind of with you. I think there's a couple guys that just more of a field thing. Um, that I'm interested in, in making a bet. And one of those guys, like I'll use for an example real quick, Matthew Fitzpatrick, where I don't have any bets on him. But if this, if this, like Matt, you bring it up all the time. This is a guy, this is a guy who's a grinder, plays in the, you know, plays better in some of these tougher courses, tougher tournaments. This might not have the field, you know, that he's going to have to grind it out against. But if this turns into ugly weather conditions in a tough course, I think he's a guy that could, could actually find some success here this week. And the other thing, I'll, I'll just want to follow up from yesterday because I happened to mention it on the pod we were recording yesterday, Matt, was the, but like my models from last year, I usually update a fair amount, you know, heading into the next year. I usually play around with things. I didn't change much of anything. So it's a lot of, a lot of the guys that we even, we even brought up yesterday is who I ended up playing. So, well, we'll get to that in a bit though. I like it. I like it. This is typically where we would go around the world with Wes Reynolds, but Wes is going to put all that stuff over on vison.com. So, uh, a lot of tournament content coming from Wes, and so that 
deep, uh, the rest of the world stuff will be coming to you um, over on VEASAN.com. So be sure and pay attention to that. So instead, we're going to slide in some of your questions here, Kelly. And I know that you earmarked three different questions for us to answer this week. So again, guys, send them to Wes, myself, or Kelly. If it's a question that benefits the masses, we will throw it in the rundown here and answer some of your questions. So Kelly, fire away here, buddy. Okay. Uh, This one coming from Jesse Welch. DK has a market for players to win a major, place top 10 in all majors, and place top five in all majors. Any thoughts? By the way, I think y'all doing a segment like this would be great. Wow. Uh, Wes, I guess off the top of my head here would be uh, golf's really hard, and so I don't know if I could bet anybody to to be that incredibly yeah. consistent. And, I mean, even further, right, it's like, it's an individual sport. There's you're taking a lot of risk just for the fact, I mean, look this past week, John Rahm gets a tummy ache and like, he, you know, like, you know, he can't play and so guys get injured and things happen and stuff. So I don't know, Wes, I don't like in, in individual sports. I don't really like locking up stuff like that, where it's kind of a multi-leg type deal because, you know, Look, in football, it might suck if the starting quarterback gets hurt, but they can put a backup in, right? I mean, like, like we can still, we, well, like, mm-hmm. our bet's not dead, right? Like, we can still have a chance to win as to where, like, we're not even guaranteed that any of these guys are going to play all four majors. So that's kind of where I stand. What say you, Wes? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the uh, the only time I ever like like won a bet where I was so sure that a player was going to win a major, it actually ended up in 2017 when uh, I had bet Sergio Garcia to win a major, and I was certain it was going to be at Royal Birkdale for the U.S. or for the Open Championship, and it ends up being in the Masters where I didn't think he really had a chance. So I think I hit like a nine to one for him to win a major. So I understand like the best player, you know, you know, or player to win a major in a calendar year. I, I, I think that that's, that's kind of difficult. Uh, I did it also with Tommy Fleetwood uh, when I think when he was at Fort Rush and he didn't end up getting it done, but that's where I had targeted for him. And then it gave you cover for the three other majors, obviously through that year. But I think it's really hard, especially doing that top five. I remember uh, uh, when Ricky Fowler, I forget the year, but I had bet him on every major that year and he finished in the top five. And of course I didn't bet the prop, but you know, <laughs> bet, bet on out, bet on outright. So yeah, I mean, this is really hard. And plus, I think it's been made even more complicated with with live golf because mm-hmm. some of these guys, unless they're unless their exemptions, you know, are still solid and haven't run out, you know, when you get like a five year exemption when you win one of these majors, you know, so Cameron Smith's mm-hmm. going to be in like all the majors, but some of these guys are going to have to like grind to get into the top fifty in the world golf ranking. I think it's top sixty for the U.S. Open that that's their cutoff, but mainly it's top fifty. So, so these guys that aren't were earning world ranking points, that's why you saw like Patrick Reed play in Abu Dhabi and Dubai on the DP world mm-hmm. tour. That's why you're seeing them play some of these Asian tour international series events because they're not getting world ranking points. So therefore they can't qualify. So that's thrown like another wrinkle into betting these type of props. Well, I think also the, you know, it's just you bringing up live alone, right? Like you never know when, like we don't often talk about injuries with golf, but it's the, you don't know if a guy's going to get injured. You don't know if a guy's going to defect a, uh, you, you know, defect to live or something. And maybe that hurts his qualification later on in the season. Right. You, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Wes, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of what ifs. I think these are, 
these are ones I'd probably stay away from as well, just in general. Uh, would you guys like to guess, though, what John Rom to finish top five in all four majors is? Let me guess. The price is not great. <laughs> Give me your odds guess on that oh to finish God. top five in all four majors. Well, the fact I can, uh, here's the deal. This yes. I'm a, teeing it up. Yes, this is an auto. Yes. This is an audio only <laughs> podcast, except I can see Kelly and you guys can't. So I can see the look on his face whenever he throws this out there. So I'm going to say something absurd, like, like 12 to one or something. Okay. Wes. Uh, I'm going to say seven to one. 28 to one. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, All right. wow. Well, okay. 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 All right. Which I thought, is still beyond ridiculous. No, it Come is, on. but it's just like, I thought you were just like, the way you were teeing it up, it was just like, that it was going to be the most egregious number that I've ever heard, like, in my life. Okay, Jesse, that was a great one. Thank you. I know Jesse uh, listens often to a numbers game and to long shots, so thanks for that question. This one, I'm glad someone sent in because I've had to possibly discuss this more on Twitter with people than anything else when it comes to golf betting. Uh, this comes from James O'Connor. Uh, can you guys talk about the dead heat rule when it comes to finishing positions? Yeah, Wes, yeah. Um, and, and you can also talk your strategy as well, right? Because listen, there, there are books that, that do pay in full, but mm -hmm. the odds are typically lower than they are, whatever. So we can kind of go through that as well. Right. And, and, and look, I'll just go ahead and use top 10 here. Mm. If you're placing that on a prop and let's say you have, like four, like four golf or five golfers, T eight. So eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So that's basically the top 12 that's paying into a top 10. So, you know, they'll do a, they'll do a five way chop. It's, it's the same thing for like a first round leader. If you have, you know, one guy that's 30 to one and one guy that tie that's 50 to one to be the first round leader, then it's a chop. So if you bet 30 to one, you're getting paid 15. If you bet uh, the, on the 50 to one, you're getting paid 25 if it's a two way split. So that's the way that they do that with dead heats, you know, and they especially use those obviously in top fives, top tens, top twenties, thirties, forties, all the different placement markets and whatnot. Now, now some, like you mentioned, Matt will pay out in full, but most shops do dead heats. And, you know, depending on if you have like each way overseas where, you know, if you ever read some of the golf columns that are written in some of the tipster columns where it's like one quarter each way, 70 to one, and then like six places or seven places. So so that's how they go ahead and do that. And like we say with each way betting, half of it goes to a win and half of it goes toward the given placement market. Yeah, this it, is I, I'll bring up another example because this this involved me last week. So I had top 20 bets on Patrick Cantley and Jason Day, and they're actually two of my bigger. They might have been my two biggest bets of the entire tournament. You get seven guys that finish T19. I have top 20 bets on both of them. Luckily, I bet them at a shop where it doesn't I don't I didn't get chopped helped save my tournament. So it is think about whatever your stake is, you know, it's getting divided by six, you know, six different times then. It, 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 you can get dead heated to death. And if we talk about, we often talk about these finishing position markets as a great way to keep that bankroll going with that golf bankroll going until you hit outrights. I think it's pretty key to try to find those shops that don't yes. dead heat these. Shout um, out to BetMGM. Like we'll yes, go ahead and just, we'll, we'll go ahead and just yep. say that. Like shout yes. out to them. They pay, yes. they, they pay in full. And Kelly, I don't know about you, but like, I almost try to exclusively play at shops that don't dead heat. And I don't really care what the odds difference is because okay, it's so like in the long term, like I've charted this over the last like five years or whatever. And 
like it seems to always come out on top if you and it doesn't matter if the odds are way less like i mean i'm talking if it's a top 20 and so one, there's a 40 cent difference yeah, yeah and there's a you, you playing it i will play the yes i will play because there's the odds of that position getting chopped is so incredibly high that, yep. for, that for me it's just you know i'm always going to play that right i mean like it's a little bit different if you're getting into like top the top five bet like where like you know you're the the elites of the tournament then i can like deal with with whatever but like top top tens even top 20s definitely top 40s and stuff like that like i am going to the shop that pays in full the the other thing with this is this is all like this is all math right like if you're playing at like if you're playing in an easier course there's probably a le- there's probably a less of a chance that you're going to have more guys in that top 5 range like you're talking about you're going to have some guys separate whereas if you're playing a US Open and it's really tough you might have yeah. more guys in that range that's why you're talking about like this top 20 range you're almost always going to have a bunch of guys that are lurking right around there that you might end up getting uh, burned dead heated on. I just wanted, I wanted to bring up the point of where's your cutoff. Cause to me, it's probably about 40, 50 cents. I just get greedy then sometimes where I'm like, shoot, like this is 50 cents better with that. Uh, and I might get dead yeah. heated, but I'm still going to play it. But that's uh, uh, I'm glad someone tweeted that in. Cause I get that question a lot. And I do like Matt said, I think it is extremely important if you can find uh, if you can find shops like MGM that pay you out in full, just bet there. Okay, last one we'll hit here. Um, this is coming from Jason H11, another regular listener of ours I know. Um, he goes, two questions, couple questions. Strategy on live betting. What are you guys looking for basically week to week? And two, what's the percentages of bankroll used on your outrights versus finishing positions versus matchups? Okay. That's actually a good one. I mean, the, the live stuff. And I, I, I know that Kelly, you and I used to try to explain this whenever we were doing daily shows together and things like that. So I don't have the opportunity. So I'm glad that we're able to do it here. I mean, for me, if you don't use data golf already, you can go to data golf, you can get live updated strokes, gained information off of that. You can take a look and like mainly outliers for me, right? It's like, if somebody, is sitting T19 and like they putted God awful and they're not God awful putters or they were just absolutely atrocious around the green and they're not typically atrocious around the green. Like, look, golf's hard. You have one bat, you can have bad rounds, right? I mean, like in certain aspects of the game. And if I can find an outlier in that type of situation to where I feel like they're still close enough to, if they regress to what is more like their baseline and certainly if they exceed even what their baseline is, that I still feel pretty live at the price that I'm being able to get in on those guys. And so that is like just the general live betting strategy for me. And then of course, then there's just the hedging live betting strategy, which Mm -hmm. comes into play where, you know, yes, if I, I am very rarely trying to leave a tournament down a lot of money. Right. And so like, cause it's just a bankroll killer. So if I have a guy that's in contention, I am going to figure out a way to make it to where I'm not leaving a tournament down a lot of money. Now, that's not to say I'm not going to leave the tournament down money, but like I'm at least going to try to mitigate how much I lose throughout the course of the tournament. And Kelly, I know you and I were fortunate enough, and even Wes, like we've 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 had guys that have finished second, which have given us opportunities to like you know get in live and and make sure that we secure a profit. So that's been been fortunate for us so far this season. Yeah, and and look, I, I'm the same way as well because. You, you, and it depends on each tournament. I mean, sometimes, you know, you want to mitigate the liability as much as you can, but, you know, you have to be willing with some of these weeks, you have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to be down a little bit. 
in this tournament. Like I ended up being down at the players championship, even though, you know, got some backdoor top twenties and the matchups did very well. None of my outrights except for Hovland who kind of got there late, but he was never really in contention. So it's like, I'm not going to dump more money when Mm -hmm. I know that I don't really have a shot. If I've got guys kind of on the periphery, like I had last week, you know, that were kind of like, Hey, if they really get hot, like Hovland did in the final round, they can get in, even though they don't have a chance to win. You know, he finished his T third, never was, that's going to look like he was in contention, but he wasn't necessarily because Scotty Scheffler just ran away with it. But yeah, I, I think, you know, like I've been saying, the placement markets, and they've been working for me this year, doing a lot more placement markets, uh, have mitigated liability and have been able to kind of, you know, well, you can get out where if you have a losing tournament, but you don't feel like you did too bad, yeah. you know, and then you, when you hit the outrights and you have those big weeks, because chances are you're probably betting most of your placement markets like you're betting outrights you know most of the guys you're betting on outrights you're mixing in the top 10s and the Mm -hmm. 20s and 30s and what have you i certainly do that and then usually i add a couple on wednesday of guys i didn't bet outright where it's like yeah i think they're top 20 or i think they're a top 40 here they're gonna make the cut so yeah it's about like mitigating the liability i mean and you got to do you know, whatever your unit size is, if you want to do half and half and almost treat it like an each way, but with the top 20, you certainly can mm-hmm. do that. You know, where if you're a hundred dollar better, put 50 on the win and put 50 on a top 20, you know, and do it that way instead of just going all in on the outrights. Yeah. And the, uh, the bankroll po- portion of this question, uh, from Jason is great on, you know, what percentages on outrights versus placement markets versus matchups. I will, as far as the live betting stuff, I mean, yes, Matt and I live bet very similarly. So he broke that all down very well for, for me as well. Um, this guys I'll, I'll throw out to you. I'll just say, I'll just say, unfortunately, I think this is something that varies week to week as far as, what yes. what you're outlaying on mm-hmm. outrights versus finishing position versus matchups. I will say, though, as, as much as I love finishing position markets, and I bet those a ton, I usually always start my betting process with looking at tournament matchups because if there are tournament matchups that I like, uh, you know, that, that I like a lot, I'm going to end up sinking more money into them than, the, than, I, than I'll sink into a top mm-hmm. 20 or top 40 on that same guy that I'm betting on. So usually that's how I go about that process. Um, and then always, you know, I'm usually adding in my outrights, but I know, it's, I know it's a tough question to answer. I don't know if you guys have anything more specific well, you can add to that. Well, I want to add to what you just said, Kelly, about tournament matchups, because that's one thing that I do. I'm not necessarily saying it's going to take me off a guy, but if there's a guy I'm considered for an outright and he's getting faded in like multiple matchups, then I'm probably not going to end up using him. You know, mm-hmm. like if it's one matchup, it's one thing. But if you've got a guy and he's paired up with like four or five, and that's especially what you get in like major championships or bigger tournaments like the players, and he just getting faded all over the place, you know, then I'm like, okay, something's up here. Is there an injury or, you know, what's going on here? So that is something I think you could use the tournament matchups really to be a tool in terms of handicapping your outrights and your placement markets. So I think that that's actually a very good approach is to look at those tournament matchups first. Yeah. Wes broke it down pretty good. Just from a, like every guy that I, and I try to say this every pod. And if I forgot on any of these previous ones, I, I apologize, but anybody that I put a, 
an outright bet in on, I will have some other bet on them in some way, shape or form, be it a placement market bet, or I have them in a head to head against, cause obviously I like them better than somebody else in their range or my, mm-hmm. or my numbers say that they should be much better than where they are and things like that. So I will have some other out on that person some way shape or form so any outright that i have and like i know we don't i just don't want to belabor the point of like oh i've got this guy I also haven't talked to any also haven't talked to or i have a head i just don't do that but like just you guys can rest assured that that's going to always be the case because obviously if i like them for an outright then i they've they've got to get inside the top 40 or they got, they got to get inside the top 20 or whatever it might be if that's the case for that to happen so that's the deal for me i mean listen if we want like a general rule of thumb for me um i'm probably about you know, 75, 25, 70, 30 on like the whatever else versus outright. Yeah. Versus outrights. Yeah. Like, I mean, j- again, that, that varies. If we want to just give you like a very broad, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that said, maybe it's a little different for you guys. Look, I put out a lot of money every week. Right. I mean, like, in, yeah. so, so, so it might be a little different because like my, my 25% on the outrights, like I'm still going to win a lot of money. If like, any of these outrights hit. Right. And so it, maybe it's a little different for if, if you're betting a little bit smaller, maybe you do want to go a little bit heavier on the outrights so that when you do hit that, it lasts you, you know, a little bit longer. I wouldn't talk you off of like 65, 35 or something like that, or 60, 40, you know, if you're, if you're just kind of like easing into all of this and then you're just breaking, even breaking, even breaking, even until you spike that um, until you spike that outright. So again, that's just more of a general deal for me. But like you said, Kelly, it's not like a it line in the sand. I have to do this every single time. Yeah, I, I would. I'm just calculating mine this week. Like mine comes out to about 20, percent and I think yeah. I'm kind of usually in that 20 to 25 percent on the mm. outrights. But I, I also think that's a great point of what you made for look. If you're if you're starting with a smaller bankroll, like yeah, it's it, it's. I understand if more of yours is going to swing towards the outrights, just keep in mind that, you know, hopefully as you start to win, you should be adjusting. Yes. That, I think. Yes. Yeah. Sliding back and, and looking to, as we're saying, like, if not, if not stay even, but like win a little bit of money every single week, even if you're not hitting any of these outrights. Right. I mean, because we've got, we've got really good out um, heads, head heads or, or uh, placement markets and things like that. So uh, fun times, uh-huh. but again, as always, uh, tweet us over on the Twitter machine. And if you uh, if you give a good question that we think benefits the masses, we will certainly plug it into the show here and answer any of those questions. We are going to take a brief pause, pay some bills around here, and then when we come back, we will run down what made our betting card this week. Stick around. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Here are three reasons Zinn is America's number one nicotine pouch. We use food-grade ingredients. We have a wide selection of varieties, and they all come in two strengths 
Find Zinn at a store near you. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. And we are back. Matt Brown, Wes Reynolds, and Kelly Bidlin. Long shots on VSIN. Guys, uh, real quick before we get into this, I'm not, I don't want to belabor the point. Listen, it's way down the line. I just want maybe like your 90 seconds on this. They want to re- they they want to basically take a step back on golf and they want to like pull the the distance thing back and they're trying to like they want to readjust the ball by 2026 et cetera, and all this stuff like that. I made a little comment today. I'm like nobody asked for this. Like, like, no, one's right, asked, right. like no one's asking for this. Like no 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 one's asking for the the pros to only drive at 280 yards. Like I half of the thing that I like is that like I go out there and try to do what they do and I'm so much worse at it than what they do and like that makes it good for me. And the fact that they're like, no, 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 it won't affect recreational golf. It's only the pros that are going to have to use these crappy balls. And so it's like, no, that's not good. I don't want to go out there and like drive the same distance as John Rom. Like that's not what I, mean. I don't want. Yep. That. I, I love watching yeah. Rory bomb at three twenty and like whatever. Like I don't. Uh, I, who who's asking for this? Like, uh, I, I, exactly. Who's asking for this? I'm with you. Nobody. Nobody's. Nobody's asking for it. I think the other part of it is is think about. Think about what length has done to the game and then the different strategies that we've seen players take, right? Like we saw what 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 tournament was where where, where Vic's hitting into a different whole fairway yeah. to try to get a better angle at the green. That just happened a few weeks ago. I can't remember which tournament, sorry. Um, but like stuff like that, and then Bryson DeChambeau, right? Like Bryson DeChambeau might go down in the history books as just some kind of carnival act on the PGA tour. Yeah, we thought that like, he was going to win every tournament because he exactly. was so long. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. There's doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Like, I mean, Jesus, like, like he should be the case. Like they should have brought this up and then they should have looked at Bryson and been like, Oh, he started like not winning tournaments. Yeah. Because, doesn't like, really matter. Yeah. Because he's like not good at some of these other things or whatever. Like, but Wes, it's like, look, it's how do we put the toothpaste back in the tube at this point? Right. It's like, I, right. you know, I mean, it's we've we've technology evolves the equipment has gotten better the balls have gotten better it just kind of is what it is now if you want to say they're going to limit it and the balls technology can't get better from here or whatever like i'm at least okay with that but like rolling it back just seems crazy to me especially when golf kind of has a little bit of momentum going on right now they got a lot of young stars they got whatever like why do we want to make it more boring like why do we want to like make it less interesting the allure of watching golf is to see these guys hit shots that you struggle with. Yes. You know, yes, on, on pretty yeah. much whether you're a regular player or just a weekend hacker, like, Hey, you know, I can hit the green from that spot, but mine doesn't spin back to 10 feet. <laughs> right. Mine stays where it's like 40 or 50 feet away, you know, and they're putting 10 feet for birdie. So that's part of the allure. It's like, it was like this whole thing with live, you know, and they're, uh, you know, spending this ungodly amount of money when I'm watching, I don't care if Scotty Scheffler made three million or six million dollars. Yeah, I don't care. It's more money than about anybody watching is ever going mm. to have. It doesn't matter. That's not the allure. The allure is seeing the competition and seeing guys bombing off the tee, or seeming guys be able to spin back the approach, and you know, just the trajectory of the ball, and you know, and watching watching that like when they have the swing vision and seeing you know what they do and trying to emulate it as best as they can with obviously, you know, without the supreme athletic ability to be able to compete on that tour. But I just think, you know, it's it's really a theme across all sports. It's like it's change for change's sake. 
Right. And I don't think that you need to make that. And I mean, maybe it's because, you know, we have lower intention spans or, you know, we, we want, you know, we want every game to be shorter. We want this change. We want that change. It's like, sometimes you can just kind of accept things for the way they are. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. Wes and Kelly, just to kind of put a bow on this again, it's just, it's like, listen, not that anyone from the USGA is listening, but if you are, um, like if you are listening to this, like if you want to just cap it to like where it is right now, I can at least deal with that. If you want to say like, Hey, we don't want these balls to get any longer, or we don't want these club faces to get right. any hotter than they are right now. Like I can at least live with that. But yeah. like, but like to say, we're going to roll it back and then we're only going to roll it back for pros. So it's like, you're going to seem you're, you're going to feel like you're on the same level as a pro sometimes. Like, like, no, that's not how this works. Like, that's not how yeah. this works. No, they're I'm, better I'm than me. You. It should be shown. It should be obvious how much better they are than me. I'm with you. If you want, if you want to put a, a, a law into place right now in the PGA tour that like no dri driver can be powered by like rockets on the back of it or something <laughs> like that's, that's fine. Go ahead. Like you're saying, like we, if we're talking about adjusting future technology, yeah, I, it, we don't need to do that, but stop scaling stuff back. I, I don't even know you, what you guys think about this, but, but I mean, this affected guys careers with what they did with the putters too, you know, back in the day, right. The anchored putters like that, I looking, I, I haven't really thought about it much, but now that we're talking about this, like I get angry thinking about them doing away with that. Like, I don't really know that that needed to be done away with. Everyone had the option to use it. Like, that's exactly. Other, like, it wasn't like, it was like, Oh no, only these five guys can use it. Or right. only, like, no, everyone could have used it. Some people didn't like it because it didn't work mm -hmm. for them. It's like, it's whatever. Some people use a mallet putter. Some people use a blade putter. Like whatever. Just, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, yeah, all of this is just so wild. I don't know who's asking for that. Anyway, got off on a tangent, but that just came through <laughs> our that came through our timeline today, and I didn't want to wait until next Monday to have to like rant on that. So we get we kind of get that out of the way. All right, Wes, let's go ahead here again. Par 71, 7,340 yards. We got five par threes. We got four par fives, 74 bunkers and six water holes. What guys ended up making it onto your card this week? Yeah, uh, I start with uh, Justin Rose, who you mentioned earlier. Now he's down kind of in the low 20s. I got him at 27 to 1. That was the best price I could find yesterday. He's been a real mixed bag at the Valspar in recent years. Missed the cut in 2015 and also in 2021. But he was fifth in 2011 and in 2018, was eighth in 2014. So he has played well here before. T6 at the players last week. Top five in the field for GIR. Total driving, ball striking, strokes gain key to green, and scrambling. Already has won for me this year, 35 to 1 out at Pebble Beach. So, look, I think he's probably on the team anyway. I think his fellow Englishman, Luke mm -hmm. Donald's going to pick him, but this would clinch it. I mean, if, even if he doesn't win, even if he's like, you know, top five here, I think he's definitely making the Ryder Cup team. So, Justin Rose, 27 to 1. I don't like the number, but this is a player that I think is a course for horse or, or a horse for course, I should say here. Adam Hadwin, 28 to 1, who won the Valspar in 2017. The last guy besides Sam Burns and Paul Casey, by the way, not to, mm -hmm. or to win the Valspar, that were not those two names. Uh, seventh here last year, T13 last week at the players, but he's third for strokes gained off the tee fourth for T to green, fifth for your accuracy and eighth in greens and regulation. So Hadwin 28 to one and then a, a three, a trio actually at 40 to one. Uh, one was in the playoff here last year. That was one Davis Riley who had a really good rookie year on the PGA tour last year in 2022 headlined by that runner up to Sam Burns in the playoff at the Valspar fifth at the Mexico open was fourth at the Charles Schwab 
top 20s at the Sony, the Memorial, the Wyndham, and the PGA Championship. And then he came out on the West Coast this year and didn't really play very well. But now he's back in the Southeast on the Florida swing, despite the fact that he missed the cut at the Players. 29th at the Honda, but he was third in greens and regulation, seventh for ball striking, 18th tee to green, then was eighth two weeks ago at Bay Hill at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, 66 on Sunday. That was a Joe Lo- uh, low joint round of the day uh, in very, very tough conditions. Uh, Justin Suh, 40 to 1. He's uh, looking like he's pretty popular this week. 11 cuts he's made in a row. Six or better in two of his last three starts. Was fifth at the Honda. Was sixth last week at the Players. Reigning Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year, if you follow that tour. Ranked 24th or better in approach in four of his last five starts. He was second tee to green at Honda. And was 15th at the Players in the same category. Wyndham Clark, 40 to 1. Another guy that's been a real cut streaker. Made 10 straight cuts. Multiple top 10s dating back to the Zozo in Japan last October. Fourth in this field for strokes gained ball striking, second in total strokes gained per round over the last 36 rounds, was also sixth in last week's field at the players for strokes gained off the tee, ends up T27. Uh, Gary Woodland, 45 to 1, won this event in his debut here back in 2011. Had it has another eighth, a couple other top 30s here, so he's been relatively consistent uh, here at Copperhead. Third in GIR, eighth for strokes in T degree and 11th in approach last week at the players. And yet he finished T54. So why do you ask? Go back to what Matt referred to looking at data golf. When you look at those strokes gain, he lost seven strokes on mm-hmm. the greens last week. So that's why. Putt. Yeah, that's why a guy <laughs> that should have been maybe top 10 ends up T54. And then a couple of the longer ones, uh, Brandon Wu. At 60 to 1, he was actually in the mix for his first PGA Tour victory at the aforementioned AT&T Pebble Beach that Justin Rose won. Good form now. He's continued into the Florida swing. T14 at the Honda. He was third for T to green in that event. T19 at the players last weekend was fifth for strokes gained putting. So Brandon Wu, 60 to 1. And then this is kind of a little narrative street play at 105 to 1. Akshay Batia at 105 to 1, if I pronounce that right. Three top seven finishes, by the way, in 2023. Two on the Corn Ferry was third a couple weeks ago at the alternate event in Puerto Rico. And one of the reasons I like this, because just today, as we record, he just accepted that special temporary membership on the PGA Tour. And what that means is he doesn't get his full card yet, but it puts him in really good position to get it. He gets unlimited sponsor exemptions, unlimited starts. So the pressure of just, you know, hey, do I have to go Monday qualifying just to get in this tournament? That's now removed, and it's like, hey, I can just go play golf and, you know, collect checks and try to win or at least get top fives and mm-hmm. top tens and earn my card. It's the same thing Zalatoris had a couple years ago, if you're wondering what that is. Uh, uh, the matchups I went with four this week. I went 3-0-2, and two, two pushes last week. Uh, some really wild rides with a lot of variants at that player. It's just that Tom Hoagie and Taylor Montgomery. When Montgomery, of course, it helps that he oh, hit two man. balls yeah. in the water at 17. <laughs> I felt for the kid because I really like him, you know, and I've met his father, Monty, who's the GM at Shadow Creek out here in Las Vegas. But that saved me on that matchup. So 18, 8, and 3 on the year. I took Justin Rose at plus 110 over Sam Burns. It's always dangerous to go against a two-time defending champion here. But I don't know what's going on with Burns. He played pretty solid at the players last week after he was dismal the week before. So he's still working with that new driver, I think, and getting accustomed to these equipment changes. So 
Rose at plus 110, Gary Woodland minus 120 over JT Poston, Dylan Fratelli minus 125 over MJ Duffy, and Matt Wallace minus 120 over Harry Hall. Yeah, you mentioned Sam Burns, and you know this is a guy that we look back a year ago, and you look at like strokes gained approach in these tournaments, 6.9, 4.14, 3.88, 9.4, 2.69, 4.4. And then you get to this season, losing, 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 losing. Like he has lost in, se- what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of his last 10 tournaments, Sam Burns has lost on approach. And like, this was a guy, like I, you know, say who's who's gaining anywhere from, from two and a half to, to seven strokes per tournament about a year ago. So something happened to these irons, as you mentioned, Wes, maybe it's an equipment change, maybe whatever it is, but he is not cutting it right now on the approach numbers. And that, that just like has to get you kind of off of him. Now, Kelly, I'm going to, the suspense is killing me here, but do you have, do you have <laughs> Wyndham Clark or Justin Suh on your card this week? Because if so, we have a pod play again. Do we have? Because I am on both of those that Wes is on. Do you have either one of those on your card? Justin Saw, fire hey, it up. There we go. We got the pod play <laughs> this week. Justin Saw is going down as the pod play. Guys, the pod play has actually been in contention a little bit for us. Now, we haven't gotten yeah. one home, but, you know, this week. Cash in top 20s. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There you it go. Is- it is Justin Suh, the pod play uh, this week. I mean, listen, Wes threw out a bunch of uh, really good stats for, for Justin Suh. But, I mean, listen, if we look here, over the last 36 rounds in this field, you know, let's just – I want to want to be sure that I'm giving you the proper context here. But in this field, he is eighth overall in strokes gained total over the last 36 rounds, 15th in ball striking, 15th in approach, 15th in putting like these are all things that are very good for a guy to break through and, and get a win in a field that isn't incredibly deep. So uh, Justin Suh on my card as well, Kelly, well, who makes the rest of yours? Yeah, I will uh, look, I've made four outright bets and Wes has all four of them on his card. So I will hey! fly, through, I'll fly through mine pretty quickly here. Um, the one I want to bring up, cause I think this does hit on some of the questions we got as well. So Gary Woodland is, is a guy I bet um, I bet him on an outright, and then in one matchup over Brian Harmon, just because at minus 105 and I had Brian Harmon was way down yeah. some of my numbers. Um, but I think it's a good example where I've been outright and I bet a matchup. I didn't bet a finishing position on this guy because he's been very erratic in different parts of his game and with some of his finishes this year. He's got a couple top 10 finishes, but he's got a couple missed cuts as well. So, you know, you're not really getting that consistency if I'm not really seeing much consistency at all, I usually stay away from some of the finishing position mm-hmm. markets, even though Gary Woodland is very high up there in my models, right? Um, then you can maybe take a guy, maybe this year's not the perfect example, but Keegan Bradley, where we talked about that win equity over the over the years not really being there, but when he gets hot, he's usually always lurking in those top 20, top 40 positions, where I think that's a guy that's a good case study of playing finishing positions on and not wasting your money on the outright. So I just wanted to hit that quick since we had somebody uh, uh, tweet in kind of questions about that. So anyways, outrights for me this week. Rosie is probably my top rated guy this week in the field. I like Justin Rose a lot here. So I played him uh, in an outright. I also played a top 20 on him pretty heavily and in a ma- in that same matchup over Sam Burns that Wes talked about. Um, he's coming in off a great week. He's got everything I'm looking for here as far as the modeling goes. He is top uh, 
basically two in everything I ran at Fantasy National, as well as Rick Rungood uh, with the weighted models. Uh, Matt, he has won two in everything basically that I ran there. So Justin Rose, I'm very high on this week. Uh, I'm gonna go, I'm going down in order, guys. I am highest on Justin Suh. So the Justins, a lot mm-hmm. of Justins, and none of them with the last name Thomas. Uh, Justin Suh. Uh, we what we hit on already, but the last five finishes, 6th, 24th, 5th, 40th, 20th, top 10 in every model that I ran. I have an outright on him at 40 to 1, uh, played him top 20, played him in a matchup over Brandon Wu as well. Um, then we get down to Woodland. I just kind of broke uh, broke him down, played him in a outright 42 to 1, and then that one matchup over Brian Harmon. Adam Hadwin, I did take the flyer on as well for an outright here. Um, a little bit more questionable on him this week, but uh, like you said, Wes has some history, uh, quality history here. Uh, figured I would play him at least for an uh, an outright, uh, take a shot on that. And then um, Keegan Bradley played a top 20 just on him, did not play him in the outrights, played Wyndham Clark as a top 20, not an outright. So, um, you know, I guess we could say a top uh, top 20 finish, at least as a pod play as well. <laughs> but uh, on him, yep. quickly yes. tournament matchups, Suh over Brandon Wu, uh, Woodland over Harmon, Rose over Burns. And I played Spieth over Justin Thomas, guys. I like Jordan Spieth. I actually think this could be a pretty good week for him. Um, if I had to just kind of power power rank golfers heading into this week, he's, he's one, two with Rose to me. Mm-hmm. So I got him at plus 120 over Justin Thomas. I just thought that number getting that high of the plus, um, plus money on Jordan Spieth. I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. So I did play that as a tournament matchup as well. So I don't have to go over Justin. So we already hit him very well <laughs> in the tournament. So he is there. He was a guy very, very high in all the models that I ran. Um, my other 40 to one that I have is Wyndham Clark. Wes already went over Wyndham Clark. And the one thing I like about Wyndham Clark in a field like this, guys, if you take a look and, People are going to say, what do you mean that's a good thing? It's a bad thing. No, I actually think it's a good thing. You can go and you can look over the last year of Wyndham Clark's tournaments, and he has gone everywhere from gaining 10.9 strokes putting to losing (laughs) (laughs) 7.4 strokes putting. And I actually think that's great. Like, give me a guy at 40 to 1 that if I get the good side of him putting, like he does all this other stuff incredibly well. Whenever we take a look over the last 36 Mm -hmm. rounds, in this field, he's third strokes gain total, second tee to green, fifth ball striking, ninth in approach, 11th around the green. The thing is just the putting, and he is either going to putt to seven strokes. He's going to lose seven strokes, or he's going to gain seven. So I'll take the I'll take yeah. the risk on a guy who does everything else well, and if he gets hot with the flat stick, then I feel pretty good about having him at, at a 40 to one price, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're going for. We need him to hit the ceiling on the putter, and if that's the case, then so be it. You would rather have that kind of player like Wyndham Clark than somebody that's the opposite, like Denny McCarthy, who you know is going to putt great every week. Right. But it's like, man, he never hits these irons, you know, yep. the, the way he should. You know, it's, for his price, it's like he's always number one on strokes gain putting mm-hmm. or strokes gain short game. But, you know, yeah, he's making these bombs for par instead of for birdie. So I think with Clark, you'd rather have the guy that does the other stuff well and then has supreme putting variance. So I said I played a couple of field plays this week, one of which is Taylor Moore. And look, I just kind of watching this dude play. I feel like he's kind of on the brink of a breakout, right? And this is the type of field 
in which I will take a risk on a guy like this because the win equity actually, I do think is at least a little bit higher because there, it isn't as credibly top heavy in a tournament. Like, like I'm not playing Taylor Moore, no matter how much I like him in probably a full field event, just because again, I think his win equity is almost zero going up against a full field of the baddest players on the planet. But like, I think in a field like this, you look, it's like, the guy's approach numbers are pretty good. They're on the upswing. I think that he can really start to compete, especially in tournaments like this. And so I did play Taylor Moore at 60 to one. One of the guys that might not have popped up in some models out there because he just hasn't uh, played in the States so far this year. But I played Victor Perez at 70 to one. Um, Victor Perez is a guy that if you look at his rest of world numbers, have actually been really good. Now, he's only made three starts this year, but of those three starts, he won. He has a T28 and he has a T13. He gained 3.9, 3.2, and 4.4 strokes off the tee. His ball striking numbers were 3.3, 5.4, and 4.8. His putting was all in the positive. His T to green, 7.1, 1.5, and 4.6. His form is pretty good coming into that over here. And again, it's just a 71 shot in a field in which I think that he's going to be able to compete. Um, so I do have that play in there on Victor Perez. And then Alex Smalley is my last one at a hundred to one from the outright market, a guy that placed very, very highly in a couple of different versions of the models that I ran. And so you kind of take a look and, you know, at a hundred to one price where he was falling, you know, listen in these, this weighted model and stuff that I ran, he ended up fourth in a couple of the different versions of these things. And it's like, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but he doesn't suck at anything either. And so maybe if he can just do, if he can play above baseline in all those categories and maybe excel just in one for four days, I might be able to uh, get a guy in contention and at least be able to make some money. Cause if I have a hundred to one ticket on a guy that's, that's in contention on Sunday, um, I'm going to be able to make myself some money no matter what. So that's where I am on the outright markets this week. Only two top 20 bets, and that's it for me. Adam Hadwin, who is number one in uh, every single version of every model that I ran ahead of Justin Thomas, ahead oh, of Jordan okay. Spieth, ahead of Justin Rose. Adam Hadwin find himself up there. And then uh, top 20 on Brian Harmon as well. Like, listen, these courses where you can just drive at 260 and like you can and just keep it in the fairway and actually have a chance at contention. That's like Brian Harmon's game, right? Like he can't he can't compete on these big courses anymore where you do need that driving distance and you do need to be able to do all this stuff. But like you don't need that this week. Brian Harmon, like these little short, these little um 265 average, 270 yard average driving distance courses. Mini golf course. That's kinda yeah, it's kind of how I look for, you know, positional golf courses. Like I think Brian Harmon's game kind of fits a positional golf course like that. So that's where I am as well but we have another pod play boys justin uh let's get it done let's actually hit one of these pod plays that would be super fun and Especially uh if it was justin Suh. yeah let's get uh <laughs> you know everybody else along for the ride as we uh as we go into the week here as well again you can go over vsin.com you can take a look at wes's stuff by the way if you don't have a account over there we're doing promotional stuff right now where you're able to get, you know, 19 bucks for a limited time offer. And with that, you're also going to get all of the March Madness stuff that's going on over there as well. So you're not only are you getting the golf stuff, but you're also getting the tournament stuff, which of course is going to be getting going in earnest here in a couple of days. So be sure and take advantage of that offer that is out there over on VEASAN.com. If you yeah. want, if yes, and if you want to do us just a slight little solid before you hit the, the exit button, go down there, rate us, review us, put something in there, kind. Tell us that you like Kelly's beard, even though you can't see it. And uh, we do appreciate that. We'll help climb the uh, 
climb the charts when it comes to these and golf send, podcasts. <laughs> and send those questions. Yes. At Matt Brown M2, at Kelly Bidlin, at Wes Reynolds 1. Thank you for that, hey, Mr. Wes? Bidlin. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, Absolutely. And uh, we, we will be back next week, hopefully celebrating an outright finish here and some good basketball results as well for Kelly, for Wes. I'm Matt. Good luck at the Valspar. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.